Hello and welcome to the Charlie Ashby Show. This is the first ever episode of this patron-exclusive podcast. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I actually hosted the show by myself uh, for my own sort of, you know, joy and using my actual degree for once, which is, you know, interesting. Uh, yeah. So for this first ever episode, what we do on this show is basically interview guests the way I would, would like to sort of interview them i want i want to know what they're thinking i want to know their their life I want to know what they've what they've been through and i want to know who they are ultimately and these are people that i i like and hopefully people that i respect who i can, might be able to get on the show and don't know as much in person uh but for this first episode i do know the person in question uh, we've been good friends for quite a while now Auden, Auden diaz hey hello doing, what's going on my friend thank you uh so much for having me it's it's a true honor um and obviously there's going to be a lot of like joking around in this episode but i genuinely do mean a true honor um to kick off your new show i know we, we had talked about it um when you were sort of conceptualizing it and 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 musing about doing it and then with the launch of the patreon it's going to be a great time yeah i think one of the main core concepts of the show is that even though we do the podcast uh the imperial Senate podcast itself is such a wacky show and really delves into more of the um, improvisational feel of that particular brand that I feel quite personally, I've been so out of the radio game that my skills are starting to devolve a little bit in terms of keeping the conversation going. So this is actually something I'm really interested in doing to get back in that game. It's sort of a process of me trying to become more of a serious interviewer again, um, which yeah. I find int- it'd be fun because I get to learn about people and also improve myself. Yeah, man, definitely. I mean, and it's true what you're saying, like, not to ever discredit um, what you guys do on Imperial Senate or, or what I do on Octo Radio or anybody in, in the podcasting game. Uh, you know, obviously, our sub subsection of podcasting is Star Wars podcasting, but it is a different uh, skill set. It's a different beast, um, especially when Star Wars provides the meat for you in a lot of ways and and a lot of the times it's takes and subtakes and different angles on a thing like if they put out a trailer well it's pretty pretty obvious that there's going to be excitement at the base level and then it's sort of just where you go with that but when i switch from doing my show into doing radio um like you know from having done your journalism degree and your studies and your programs and you know the other day we were, we were laughing about like your your old reel your student stuff like things like that it's a completely different muscle where you realize that you have to, you know, switch on different parts of your brain. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just one of those things where it would be good to sort of have that in my brain. Well, okay, I can switch between this particular set of skills and another. And I feel like I'm just excited to get back into that sort of swing of things. Yeah, definitely, man. I think it'll be good. Well, why don't we just start off? Um, obviously, we've known each other for quite a while. But for people that don't know you, Auden, which I know, a travesty quite frankly i agree <laughs> you miserable miserable human beings i guess the, the the question i always want to start every interview off is one of the most easiest questions to spit out which is firstly how are you i i i am i'm doing okay uh i think that right now is a really interesting time for everybody because we're all sort of Whereas in, in a normal circumstances, it's sort of like, how are you is sort of based on you to a large degree. Whereas right now, so much is out of our control that it's almost asking somebody, you know, how are you reacting? How are you dealing? 
you know, like how acting is is really reacting. Like right now, life is kind of reacting, uh, and we, um, you know, we can choose to listen to each other. We can choose to listen to the cultural moment, the societal moment. You can choose to listen to science. Um, it's a lot of choices right now, just just overall. And I personally. I'm fortunate to be able to work from home, so I'm doing okay in that regard. I get a little lonely. I get a little stir crazy and things like that, but I'm just trying to be useful, um, to stay focused, to connect with my friends. I mean, you and I talk almost every day um, yeah. with and with our friends, you know, Nikki and Claire, who I know through you. Um, and we, you know, our, the community that we're lucky to be a part of has definitely helped. But, you know, just trying to donate sign petitions um be useful try to be an ally because i don't think real allies can ever say i'm an ally like it's not for you to decide but um yeah just trying to trying to stay uh, i guess awake you know uh, physically and, and metaphorically yeah that's a good point i mean it's just draining time in terms of i mean if anyone's listening this episode is being recorded the 17th of june uh, so we've been, we're in, we're in quarantine for a start, um, in case you're listening in the future, grandchildren. Um, <laughs> this is this a episode, weird... This episode is a time capsule. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not releasing it until 2056. Uh, um, it's going to be all like a hundred episodes of the Charlie Ashby show dropped at once, like Netflix. <laughs> People are be like, this is like a, a case file. <laughs> <laughs> Every guest is cancelled. <laughs> when it's stuck up, it's like, oh, dear God. We should have found this. Um, no, that won't happen. Uh, yeah, it's such a weird time. Obviously, we've got the um, the momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement, and people just sort of keep pushing and pushing. And actually, it's quite it's it's good to see people fighting back, regardless of skin color, all coming together. But obviously, pushing those black voices up and really seeing change happen. I mean, the Oxford uh, at the Ox- University of Oxford. The, uh, the statue that they weren't going to bring down is actually going to be brought down now. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's just small things like that which are important, but at the same time, there are still people being murdered by the police every day. So yeah, it's, um, it's like you said, it's a mixture of things. It's trying to stay awake and push those voices, but I can understand why. It's very tiring for everyone. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, it's the... Uh... it's the test of of your character you know and it's the for for nerds like us a lot you know most a lot i was gonna say a lot most of the stories if not all of the ones that have informed us and made us who we are are about choices and are about when the going gets tough do you get going like do you choose the easy path or do you choose to stand for something even though it's going to be hard and, and it is hard but you have to think about always who is it harder for, you know, these two, three week, you know, these two to three week periods that, that you and I go through um, as people just trying to engage are nothing uh, in comparison to what uh, less privileged people have gone through for their entire lives. You know, they were born uh, at a disadvantage. And so for us, um, I, I, you know, my perspective is, yeah, tear down the statue. I mean, tear it all the way down uh, and don't look back because we're making up for lost time. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those cases of the momentum's always been there. Like the, the idea, like all of this has been building up. It was going to erupt at some point, but 
I think now we've, we're at a standpoint where actually we need to keep pushing and make sure the momentum goes in the right direction and doesn't stop. Especially in, like in terms of like recently Me Too has been cropping its head again and that kind of got swept under the carpet. And so everything's sort of coming together and coalescing. And hopefully the way we educate, the more we tell the truth and be earnest, will hopefully create a better future so these things don't happen again. Especially like we've got like the comics industry yesterday that Warren Ellis was uh, allegedly um, <laughs> outed as a creep. Um, so unfortunate. It's just, I mean, it's it's uh, it also comes with that that life thing of don't meet your heroes. Where I don't necessarily agree with don't meet your heroes, but there is definitely a um aspect of, of of a cautionary tale of against lionizing people because you know it's it's um it's just unfortunate how this stuff comes out it's the same like with the statues as well like don't have like don't put people on a pedestal because we're all human at the end of the day especially like stuff like uh, admiral nelson like yes he won the battle of trafalgar um if it wasn't for him like obviously all these lives and stuff but at the same time he also was a like a racist piece of shit, quite frankly. Um, yeah. He had many dealings with, like, you know, the West India trade. And so it's it's about dealing with the reality of things. Yes, this guy created these great comics, but at the same time, he was doing this. And it's what you do with that information, I think, that's important. Uh, and I feel like, and we'll get into this in a second, but as people in this industry, the more you get closer to the industry you do hear things about people and they are kept quiet or swept away or shrugged away. Absolutely. And you you start to realize, oh, this isn't a one-off thing that just keeps happening every sort of year or so. This is, this is what it, this is what normality is to these people. And it's up to us to sort of go, well, no, this isn't normal. We have to stop that. And I feel like, I think that's why we're not as surprised anymore by the amount of stories that come out because it's just prevalent all the time. Yeah. We realized that the, the power dynamics are such that it is as rampant and as um, societally ingrained an issue as uh, climate change, as, uh, as racism. Um, We have ignored it and allowed it to fester like a wound. And, you know, like we see, uh, here in America and uh, overseas in the UK, um, in terms of our governments, how ignoring a problem and ignoring a problem and ignoring a problem gradually bred, um, you know, sort of the the lion's den uh, in a way. Uh, governments that we're seeing on bo- on both ends mm-hmm. with uh, the, the the modern um, right and conservatism, um, both in in the Tories and in the Republicans and how it, it's all sort of coming to a head. Like you said, all these things are coalescing and combining. And a lot of that is the, the social media age is sort of, you know, spreading light on these people and exposing them. Uh, it, so it's not a coincidence to me that it's all coming to a head, but it is also combining in a way that is making it, you know, it, it, it's, it's ele- the issues are elevating each other and making themselves more apparent, but then they become harder to deal with because you become mentally exhausted. So it's like, the Warren Ellis thing, um, which I, I was unaware of like when it was happening. I literally, this was all news to me just like a couple hours ago, but it was this whole thing mm-hmm. of 
wow, another thing, you know, another thing in 2020. But then we have to fight against that. And I encourage everybody listening to fight against that mentality because it's easy to say, oh, 2020, you know, what what, what a year. Um, but then uh, it, it you still need to treat the issue um, with the the severity and the scrutiny that it deserves. We can't just say, oh, yeah, and that we're not listening to. Like we have to, especially if we love comics, if we love our, these mediums, um, we can't afford to be exhausted. I, I mean, yeah, spot on, absolutely. And it's just like you said, the, the apathy we share, uh, especially like you said about the organizations, like the Republican Party or the Tory Party. These are these are these institutions that we sort of were apathetic to in terms of okay, we appreciate that they're they're one side of an argument. They're pretty much more right wing. But the way, the, the way we lax on certain issues has allowed for these like darker, more evil components to get in there and ride that tail. And it's the same with any sort of business or any sort of institution. If you allow that behavior, people will keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And sometimes that gets caught out. But a lot of the times, actually, what happens is, you know, it just gets worse and it gets covered up. It it gets covered up. We've seen it a lot. We've seen it a lot over the years. We see it today, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the bystander syndrome, you know, like <clears throat> we hear all the time uh, in um, our, I guess I would call it middle school. You would call it secondary school uh, mm -hmm. in England. They they teach about, you know, things like World War Two and the and the just atrocities against humanity that took place and, and just some of the worst acts of war and, and hate ever recorded. And a lot of people say, well, how did it get that bad? And they and then they start teaching you about the bystander effect and about, um, you know, all the quotes that everybody always shares on their Instagram stories uh, and all the poetry about looking away and all this stuff. And we absorb it as kids and we're like, wow. I'd never do that. And suddenly you find yourself in times where it's like, now you have to stick to that, you know? And yeah, I, I saw somebody put it in a funny way where they said, when was the last time we lived in precedented times? We, everybody's, <laughs> we, we, we live in unprecedented times. It's like, well, I'd like to know where the fuck the precedented days have gone because uh, it, it's, it's just, um, it's a constant, constant test now. And that's the sad thing about getting older. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff that's come with adulthood. Believe me, I don't think I'd go back, but to, to childhood or my teen years, but um, it, it's being constantly aware. And with things like Warren Ellis being um, now outed as a creeper, it's sort of like it's this idea of even with your own family members or with family friends, like as you get older, their flaws become more apparent. And that flaw could be casual, unknowing racism, like in a stereotype way, like maybe your mom or dad um just has a problematic opinion of, of one group of people even if they don't have a hateful heart and but that extends all the way to actual predators and and that's what you have to deal with um and you can't afford to just look away like people who say oh well you know i just choose to i just choose to separate the art from the artist or i, just, I don't like to be political or any of those statements that's great you know I, lo I love to take breaks from politics too and i i will still enjoy a movie produced by a Harvey Weinstein, you know, he's produced some of the best films ever made, but it doesn't mean you don't think about it and you should think about it. Yeah. I feel like it's how we deal with this information now, how we push forward, mm -hmm. um, which can be scary. 
And it's like you said about the, the whole precedented time situation. It's like there's people now that are, are sort of clamoring for the Bush days. God. And and the Blair <laughs> days. It's like, well, they murdered millions of people. Yeah. And oh, and they are they are truly uh, the only beneficiaries of of the atrocities of today because they just get to retroactively look better. Exactly. You know, now, now, I'm sure Bush loves the fact that people are like, eh, he was just, you know, some dumb country guy who who loved to paint. And yeah, he said some dumb stuff, but he wasn't that bad. It's like we, we forget how he mercilessly butchered people, many, many of which were civilians on a lie, on a literal well, I think that they have weapons. And people were like, you do? And he said, yeah. And they said, oh, good enough. Let's go. Like, <laughs> like, and he just uh, in, indiscriminately destroyed lives uh, and destroyed an entire era of not just American history, but world history um, of our childhoods. I mean, and, and England was involved and the way that we shamed France for not wanting to be involved and um, that whole that whole progression cannot be forgotten because because people like Trump and people like Boris Johnson, um, they're not the cause of any evil. They're just a symptom. They're just the next logical conclusion. And what we have to do now, whether it's with policing, whether it's with governing, um, and whether it's with even creating comic books is hold our institutions to a higher standard. I mean, I mean, the comics industry, you know, you know, as well as I do, and, and a lot of our friends and peers will know, um, is just as riddled with creeps as film was. I mean, they always throw around like Hollywood and all the pedophiles in Hollywood. The comics industry is has been just littered with truly trash people. Um, and because comics was so underground, it was allowed to fester in different ways. And maybe you don't have your Weinsteins in comics. But you've had anti-Semites, you've had alt-writers, you've had people with horrible anger issues and complete disregard for women. Um, and a lot of these have been very, very respected creators. And then it's like, oh, look, we found a blog of theirs. Or, oh, look, somebody told a story that everybody knew about but ignored. And we can't afford to ignore things anymore. And a lot of people will try to beat it out of you or say, you're a complainer or why are you bringing up stuff from the past or, you know, is this cancel culture? Cancel culture doesn't fucking exist. Like, I'm so sick of that being thrown around as a defense. Like, and if it if, if someone is being canceled, the better question should be not why is the canceling happening, but why is the canceling happening? You know, take that question yeah. a level deeper. Don't say, oh, why are you guys trying to cancel? Really think, why are they trying? What what are they talking about? You know, you you, you guys are, these people are more concerned. I mean, the... The, the people that's giving blowback, they're more concerned with um, protecting status quo than they are with any any critical thinking. And that's a big problem. Yeah, I feel like to finish this point, it's more in terms of the repercussions from council culture and quotation marks is either from a legal standpoint, because they literally broke the law, mm -hmm. <laughs> which, you know, rightfully justice should be made. Or they lose their job, which I'm sure you can just get like another job. Quite frankly, it's not. It's gonna be. It's not gonna be on telly. Yeah. But it's not the end of the world for that person. For some people, it is the end of the world emotionally, um, mentally, like just damaging to their their psyches. And I feel like, like you said, we have to do a lot better as a society. I feel like 
we're just starting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about you for a bit. So you're the executive morning show producer at iHeartRadio. Yes. That like? I, I, yeah, I'm one of the, uh, the morning show producers. So I live in Florida. So uh, I'm originally from Connecticut, but I've lived in Florida for a long time. And so I am um, in the, the, the festering um, vertical wart on, on the bottom of, <laughs> uh, of the United States. The uh, Florida man, everything you've heard about Florida man is true. Uh, and down here, I became uh, an assistant producer for iHeart uh, almost almost two years ago, and worked my way to executive producer. So I produce a um, a morning show Monday through Friday, five days a week, um, from six in the morning um, Eastern time, and it's an '80s, '90s, and today format. So good mixture of music, some stuff I love, some stuff I don't really care about, but it's not up to me. Um, and it's local news and, and national news, entertainment stuff, just sort of life talk um a guy host and, and, and a, a female host just you know that are buddies and going back and forth so it's pretty simple pretty light they like us to keep it light um but it's fun i mean just to to get in touch with guests and and to get in touch with the community and figure things out um is is part of the fun of it i mean figuring things out uh and problem solving is obviously a big part of the job but when you can just have a good conversation or you find out that you're really affecting people um that's always great uh, I used to produce rock radio, which I preferred in terms of format, but I was only the assistant. So here I have a little bit more control. So it's uh, what, I, what I gave away in, in sort of my personal interest. I, I gained um, connections and I gained uh, the ability to really shape and lead a thing. And so it's sort of like directing theater a little bit, making sure everything's on time, making sure that everything is where it needs to be with commercials and things like that. Um, so it's fun. I mean, producing is as Charlie knows, just from knowing how TV works, knowing how journalism works, having studied all this stuff. When you hear the word producer, it sounds really fancy. It's just making sure that shit doesn't go sideways, making sure that everything is the way that it needs to be. Yeah. It's, it's imagine that a plastic bottle full of water with holes in it. <laughs> it's <laughs> working out how to uh, plug those holes as new ones arise and uh, water friends to splash on your, fader <laughs> absolutely can you do a radio voice uh i can yeah i mean so i th this is just how i normally sound i've sounded the way I, that i speak since i was like 11 years old so people have always been like oh you have a radio voice but like a radio voice to me isn't really like about um the actual sound of your voice because there are people with much higher radio voices you know they, they 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 have a naturally high voice there are people with radio voices that are really scratchy there's a guy that works with me who kind of sounds like this and that's just <laughs> how he talks but a radio voice is um when you can tell that like the, the, the person is gone and that they've more transformed into a product like and it's like you know, uh, coming up here on the Charlie Ashby show, we're going to be talking to, uh, you know, we got Charlie on, of course, but we're going to be talking to Carol. Carol's calling in because she wanted to know about, uh, what was it again, Carol? You wanted to talk about um, raising your kids and sending them off to college? Because I think that that's pretty interesting. You know, I went to college one time uh, and we'll get into that in five minutes here after a word from our sponsors. Like it, you can tell that like it's devoid of humanity. Like it, they, they, they just went into autopilot. My favorite is when they deliberately segue into another like bit <laughs> just like oh yeah I, I love reading books books are great speaking of books a library in dorset has just closed down 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, and, and you know, like every time that a transition like that happens, it's like they fist pump. They're like, hell yeah, nailed it. <laughs> like, they're like, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, you could you could do that with so many different things where it's like, you know, uh, it's unfortunate what happened out there with that car crash. But, you know, it, it reminds me of that that scene in Speed, you know, where the, where the bus was coming down. And uh, speak, speaking of Speed, our weekend box office report uh, actually just came in across my desk. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I was never much of a math guy, but it, it, it's just all like bouncing around and not actually digging in fully to anything. <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, there are people in radio that I absolutely love, but there are people in radio that I've met, uh, some of whom I, I see regularly who, <laughs> who I, uh, I think definitely have forgotten what it's like to just speak. Uh, and some of them can't turn it off. And you see this a lot with people in acting and with people in you know social media and radio and comics star wars fan and professional wrestling all the things that i am a part of there are people that just can't turn it off um and i try to you know like i know that there are radio formats that i would not be suitable for because i don't turn on that mode um like some people do like i could never be a top 40 guy um yeah that's but I was screening yeah, but I but I respect it. I mean, there are people that are killer at it, but I I just could never do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I was just thinking about being a top four. You right? I was like, I could never do that. My voice would be just shattered. It would be a nightmare. Um, I guess what, uh, the question I want to ask you now is, what's the best thing about working in radio? The best thing about working in radio, I think, is the the ability to be plugged in in ways that I wasn't before, just sort of like the doors that it's opened, um, some of which are selfish and some of which are selfless. So being plugged into the community is great, like locally. Like I have no real love for Florida as a place, but the ability to, you know, raise up a local business is great. Um, a place that you really like to be able to highlight them, give them a shout out, to be able to be a part of, of events, you know, like when even when bad things happen, um, you know, like I, I went to one of the the Black Lives Matter protests uh, recently and, you know, my I, I the, the show I used to work on where I was assistant producer, I was one of the five characters of the show. So you would hear me a lot on this show being executive producer. I, you know, I've got so much to do behind the scenes that I'm not really heard as much as I used to be when I was an assistant. But um, for this segment, I mean, like my host was like, yeah, I want to throw it to you on the mic. Let's talk about the protest. So being able to do stuff like that and then highlight it and share it with people is great. But then on the selfish end, which is the more light, uh, you know, fanciful end of things, being able to, um, you know, go to a, a movie screening, being able to meet people like that, like it is sort of like, you know, people think it's 100% that it's not, it's probably only like 30% that. But when you do get that kind of stuff, uh, it can be really fun. Yeah, I guess you know you sort of know where I'm going to go now, don't you? I think I think I do. I, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that I do. Yeah. What's the worst part of working in radio? <laughs> Jeremy Piven. Uh, <laughs> okay, the... him. <laughs> no, please do, please do. Uh, my my feud with Jeremy Piven is is one sided, and he has no idea we're feuding. But the the uh, yeah, I mean. The worst part of working in radio just overall, like like Piven, you know, obviously I've told Charlie the story off air. Um, we just had some some a couple negative interactions where he didn't do anything to me personally, but he 
just like so just stereotypically Hollywood. And I think that that's the worst part of radio overall is that there are, hmm, how do I word this diplomatically? There are people that, like I said, like have forgotten to just be a person first and have become a radio personality. And so they expect things to just happen around them. Like some people reach a certain point and they think they don't have to work hard. And that's in every field, I guess. Like I'm sure that there are journalists that don't do any actual reporting and then they just read stuff on air and then there you go. I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, that's what anchors have become. They've become personalities, uh, sometimes to the detriment of the networks that they're on, oftentimes to the detriment of the networks that they're on. But yeah, I think that radio becomes vain in that way, but it also is, it's an, in broadcast in general, it's an art form that needs to be a business and it's a business trying to be an art form and those things don't coalesce. Where sometimes I feel like even if even if we're swinging for the fences and we're doing our best content, uh, it, it's still just selling ads and that's a shitty feeling. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that sort of frustrating aspect of that and also guest hunting for me was such a difficult job sometimes in terms of just how people deal with you it's like come on (laughs) throw me a bone um i'm trying to promote you this is a good thing for you you're gonna you can just help me the other way um never really happened that way unfortunately although we did get one mp on the show once i think it was the show that i was producing and um it was to do with i think for some reason there was a live election show i think it was a live i think it was election uh, results uh, over here in the uk and um obviously lindsay lohan was in the uk staying here doing a play and so she was watching them live and tweeting about it and she was like what's what's kettering which is like a, a town near us it's like that sounds great it's not <laughs> i mean it's not too bad but I mean, it's yeah, it's caring. It's not like amazing, um, and because that's in the sort of near us and the the boundaries of like Northamptonshire in general, we actually rang up the MP for caring, um, and asked if the rumours were true that apparently they wanted to get Lindsay Lohan to do the Christmas lights, turn the Christmas tree lights on, and they got him, and he confirmed that they were in talks with Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> To turn the Kettering Christmas lights on, which is ridiculous, but it's one of those stories where it's like the ludicrous nature of it, plus so uh, the the actual voice of reason in terms of like the guest just worked so well together. And it's just one of those. Those are the moments, like you said, that so you're like you, you pound you're pounding in the production line because you're like that is something <laughs> that yeah, is interesting. It's, like, it's a cartoon reality in a lot of ways where you're just like is this guy for real? Like, or is this like, is this a bit? And so much of it is bits. Like I've been a part of whole conversations on air that were completely fabricated. Um, you know, just because the host was like trying to get a certain type of call to come in or trying to, you know, rile up a certain crowd or trying to uh, lead into a point and they just needed to get there. And they just came up with something trying to sound organic, but then it, that escalates into, you know, your Lindsay Lohan interactions or, or just anything where you're like, I don't understand how this is real life, like where these people completely disconnect from reality in a certain way. And I guess it's I guess we see that a lot, you know, you and I being the same age and having grown up in the social media world, like where people, 
you know, where people start and end and where personalities start and end, it, it's so, you know, muddied now. Yeah, especially for me, I feel like one of the biggest things I learned as a journalism student was the confirmation, at least, on my part, an attitude that I had since teenage years um, was confirmed by doing a journalism course, which is that just people are the worst, <laughs> just in terms of <laughs> the scientific the gen- the general public don't care about anything. They, the amount of times we try to get Vox Pops, which are the worst things. You, no one cares about Vox Pops. Nobody watching cares about people's faults. Nobody listening cares about people's faults. But you have to get them. Yeah. It's just necessary for the news story. And it, yeah. Ultimately, like if you're pr- pr- producing a, a news story for people that don't understand, it's like, you get you have the reporter giving the facts. Yeah, you've written down the facts. You give them. You need an educated voice. So you try to contact someone who maybe works for the company, or and then you get a counter voice, so someone who isn't biased because they're not working for the company. And then you just get random people to be like, "Oh yeah, that's great. Or, oh, that's terrible." <laughs> it's such a waste of time. But yeah, it, it, that really pushed me. It's like, oh, I guess people are terrible. Yeah, and I think that's something that I've dealt with. I know with the shows that I've worked on in radio, like it's been sometimes you'll do a dynamite, just just awesome. You think you just crushed it. The content was killer. The conversation was on point, but you won't get any phone calls. And I've worked with hosts that their ego gets really bruised by that. And mm. they're like, well, this sucked. Like, I don't want to do it again. Like in the post-show meetings, like, you know, we we need like I've had I've literally had people say like we need to dumb it down. You know, I'm talking like what's your favorite food? Like we need to get callers. Like it needs to be that simple. Like food level questions. You know, like going out. You know, partying. Whatever favorite movies. Like it needs to be. You know, because we need callers. We need callers. And I'm like that does not make like the the quantity of of inter- interactions cannot be prioritized higher than the quality of the conversation. I'd I'd rather listen to a radio show where it just feels like a podcast, like it, like it feels like this. I would yeah. rather never hear from the public than to hear from the public over garbage. Absolutely. That's how I agree. Definitely. Because you're not doing a service. You're just giving out an opinion based on like someone else's opinion at the, at the time. They're not, they're not, they might not be informed the same way other people are. And then you're, I feel like you're just doing it the surface overall. Cause like, this is what the average Joe thinks. It's like, well, is that necessary for this point? Like, is that, yeah. does that matter? Unless like, it's you, something like truly, um, truly insightful and truly singular and special. It's just not necessary because guess what? I don't need to know what the average Joe thinks about something that he's not qualified to talk about. Exactly. And you've picked the story. If you've picked the story, quite frankly, you as a person who's producing it are saying this is an important story. You don't need someone to be like, this is an important story because Sharon, 32, says <laughs> that murdering people is bad. Thank you, Sharon. Now back to you with sports. Like, yeah, like we, we it's so you wouldn't, have that, you wouldn't have that with sports. You wouldn't be like, we just spoke to the coach for the uh, the LA Rams. <laughs> Let's go to Brian from Chicago. What does he think? Yeah, exactly. You Yeah, and you wouldn't even do it with entertainment news. Like, Entertainment news, in my experience in radio, is always a, an isolated segment. We don't say, like, 
and Robert Pattinson has been cast as Batman. Now we're going to go to the phones to find out who's your favorite Batman actor of all time. Like, you don't do that. So, so why do I give one single iota of a fuck what somebody thinks about climate change? It's fucking happening. Like, we don't need to validate stupidity. Exactly. And that happens a lot in, in, in Florida with just like the demographics and stuff. Like, you get people that call up and they're like, well... Now, I don't really think it's racism, and it's like, no, we don't need to talk to you. We don't need to talk to you. There's a national yeah. moment happening. <laughs> it's that, yeah, it's that sort of idea that we have to cater to both sides when yeah. it's it's a fact. <laughs> yes. Like it's a, exactly. When it's a scientific fact, for some reason, organizations like the BBC will still push to get a voice on there to counter it. It's like, well, you can't counter that. It's a fact. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about... Um, John Stewart, when he was on The Daily Show, you know, he said facts tend to have a liberal bias. <laughs> like, that's why, exactly, you know, yeah. when he when he got criticized, I guess, for his presentation, he's like, I'm just like, yeah, I'm using satire. He's like, but I'm not saying anything that hasn't been vetted, that hasn't been proven, that isn't a, a part of the national zeitgeist right now. It's just, yeah, another level. Um, so we've gone through the, the, sort of the pros and the cons of your chosen profession. Now, saying that and sort of re-examining those ideas, if you could be a part of any other profession, what would it be? Oh, I'd be a, I'd be a filmmaker without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, instantly. I mean that that ultimately is still what I'd want to do before I die. Uh, I got into radio um, not because it was ever a dream or because I I set out to do it or because I had goals of doing it. Um, I, I got into it because I wanted to be in entertainment and because I, I knew that I could do this and because there was a program available and, you know, I, I briefly tried the film school thing and I realized it was a money suck as many people will tell you. And, um, I had done theater, uh, and, but I didn't want to pursue it professionally and nor do I think I was ever good enough to even consider that. But I knew that radio was an opportunity and that if I could get into it, um, I could build connections. I could build a reputation, either producing as a host, because producing is so transferable. You know, like I could go be an assistant producer at our local news station if they opened up a position. You know, a lot of what I do is transferable. And it was just about building um, building a resume, building work, um, a work ethic and, and a methodology and building sort of trusted contacts. And, you know, through this, I've become buddies uh, at least friendly with comedians with actors um with writers and it's opened the door for like my podcast and things like that so ultimately the end game like i have no intentions of like retiring from radio ultimately the end game would be to one day um if i can you know have a comfortable existence with this um but i want to to write you know i like i've written a a children's book before that's just sitting there unpublished um that's meant for like really teeny tiny kids like bedtime story age kids that i think is pretty funny and cool and i'd like to have my hand in everything like i've said um i'm pretty sure i've said to you um and if not you know i'm sure you'll agree that that kevin smith's career is the ultimate career goal yeah you yeah we've spoken about this before for like creative people have fingers in many pies <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Where he was like, yeah, I directed for a bit. Then I sort of fell out of love with it. And then I got into podcasting. I was one of he was one of the original pioneers of it. And then moving into, you know, producing television, writing comics, all that stuff. Like I, I filmmaker was always my dream as a kid. 
But ultimately, as I've gotten now to 24, I just want to do and be a part of everything that I like. Do you think you will make a film? I think so. I think so. I I think that it'll happen for me eventually. I don't know if it'll happen soon, just financially, just because it's so, you know, like I'm at the point with my finances where I'm like, hopefully I can get a place of my own soon, like that type of stuff. And so it would take a lot to be able to to produce one. But I think that in my lifetime, yeah, I I definitely, I know that I can. Um, It's just a matter of of the the stars aligning a little bit more. But it's definitely the ultimate, like that'll be the, um, that'll be the big moment, I think. Like that's the one that I've thought about since I was a kid is that like if I can, if I can get to the point in my life where I'm standing on a set and I can say that's a wrap, That'll be the big, like, if they made a movie about my life, shit could end there. We could start playing fucking some awesome rock and queen song or something. We could just move on. Credits can roll like that. That to me is the one that I've thought about. Like I was a kid where I was watching fucking Empire of Dreams. And, you know, I like I know you were uh, and watching um, Wizard of Oz behind the scenes stuff and and telling my mom like that I was going to thank her in my Academy Award speech and telling her all about you know spielberg's career and kevin smith and oh i'm watching buffy you know telling her all about joss whedon and telling her all about um you know everybody that that made things that i liked you know about even even outside of film and television like telling her who um you know j michael straczynski was or (laughs) or bendis like all, all all of that i was always blabbering on about who was making stuff because once i realized that making stuff was a career it just blew my mind yeah it's one of those things where i feel like certain people have that creative spark and it it isn't just trying and i feel like it's a good thing nobody should be if you feel comfortable this is a quote i love from david bowie where he says along the lines of if you feel comfortable it's time to do something else or push yourself out of the Yes. Zone. it's a great great interview too I, I actually just saw that recently for the first time in my life and he uses the pool metaphor like if you can wait out in the water long enough to where like your feet are just barely touching the bottom but you still feel like you might sink like but you can sort of you sort of know you're okay but you're not quite sure like that's that's the zone you should try to live in exactly yeah you don't want to be too safe but you don't want to obviously drown as well like yeah it's that ultimate and I think Bowie is the perfect example as well. Like you said about Kevin, like you said with Kevin Smith. But I think for me, Bowie is that perfect representation. Like he's he's someone who wanted to do musicals, and then he went to uh, music. They started writing, and he found himself so nervous that he couldn't go out and be himself one hundred percent. So he created the character, and then he created a few more characters. And it wasn't until later on he could actually be himself. And by that time, he had done. A Broadway show, like performing live. He'd been in films. He'd done uh, voiceovers. You know all this incredible stuff. And I feel like that is the ultimate dream: is to not just do one thing at a time. And we do we do it all the time. We talk about this all the time. We do podcasts. We we joke around. We do. Um, we've been doing the sort of live read-throughs and acting. And I feel like there's a certain trend for people, and they're sort of creative people have a wave path and i think it sort of shows in what we've done like you did uh i'll, I'll do i'll ask this question in a second but fear work 
I did drama. Um, Claire, who yeah. does the show with uh, me, she did fear work. And there's this ongoing sort of constant thread of like creative energy. Uh, journalism, you have to be creative in terms of like, you have to do like the radio stuff and TV and make packages and writing and all that stuff. I feel like it's just all in there. And I feel like, yeah, it'd, it'd be great to see you keep pushing and those sort of boundaries you'll go into. Uh, but like I just said, um, you mentioned uh, you used to do theatre. Right. Do you miss acting and doing theatre work? Every day. Like literally just uh, at the time of this recording, it was like two or three days ago. Um, my girlfriend Aaron and I were talking about how we would love to even just be like those adults that are in community children's theater and like help the kids like learn, but are also in there to fill the parts they can't play. Like just to get involved in, in any way again would be great. And I, I've been away from it for too long. Like it, it's sort of, and I think Claire would agree and, and, and any of our friends that had that and then didn't have it. It's just a, um, it, it, it clings to you and you get a theater bug and you get really into it. And then, you, you know, the feeling of finishing a play, but then you get post-show depression and you're like, oh, it's over. Like oh, this thing we worked on is gone. Like I miss those ups and downs. Um, and again, like I never wanted to do Broadway. I never wanted to do theater um, professionally, but it was such an important part of like my middle school and high school experience and, you know, doing the, the community theater that I did afterward. All of that was so important to team building, to learning how good it feels to finish something and also just to be confident and to gain confidence um, in yourself and your abilities. I was always a kid that liked to entertain people. I liked to tell stories. I liked to make people laugh. I liked to do all that stuff and I still do. So, and I was always a kid that was like memorizing lines of dialogue and things like that. Like, you know, I know you know what that's like, especially being Star Wars fans, being comic book movie fans and things like that. Um, just genre fiction in general, like you always remember lines and you remember scenes. I would recite them and learn them and do them in class and things like that with my friends. So by the time I was, you know, a senior, junior, senior in high school, like 17, 18, being involved with that type of stuff was great. And then even doing a little bit of stand up comedy too, um, tying in with that, you know, I've performed stand up a few times, only a handful of times. That's, that's truly fucking terrifying. But I even missed that. Um, just the, the you won't you do it once and it just exists type thing yeah it's kind of like a terrifying sort of spirit i feel like that's what i kind of like and sort of dislike about the whole thing is that there is that risk um mm-hmm. I, I guess we do it every week in terms of radio we've done live shows and stuff um you, you it's still there but it's not to that extent because there's so much pressure i guess put on yeah that. and it's also different with like the crowd energy that's a real palpable thing like the fact that it's a shared experience in the room and like, you know, doing radio and doing podcasting, like you guys on Imperial Senate, you do live shows and things like that. And I want to start doing them um, with Octo Radio as well. Uh, it's different in the sense that you are co-hosting a thing and you're having the conversations. But um, if somebody were to, you know, forget their their train of thought for a second someone jumps in and it doesn't feel like you saved a thing, you know, and whereas in theater, it has to be like a dance. It has to be like a, like a shared conversation, like a, like a one brain where we're constantly like, if one person gets it wrong, it's like a body. And if an organ shuts down, then you're fucked. Like 
that type of stuff uh, and, and nailing choreography and nailing everything and, and just letting the, the black of the audience just take over. And like, when you first go out on stage, you see all these faces and looking at you and stuff. But then by the time you're like one or two scenes into it, it's just a black void and you're, and you're just with your friends again. And that that's very singular to theater, I think. And even, even to stand up a little bit. I feel like you and if you and Erin do eventually go into sort of those like theater for kids, you'd be great as the Hannigans from Annie. <laughs> oh man, what a part! What a what a great part that would be. <laughs> I want to see this happen now. That would be awesome. I, yeah, to see, there's so many like adult parts that I would love. I would love to play in like children's theater. Like I. I have played the role of Scar from the Lion King before in sort of like the context of like a, like a Disney, like musical theater, like showcase. Um, but I've never played like full on Scar with like makeup and a costume and all that stuff. So like if, if a local, you know, kids theater thing ever did like the Lion King, I would fucking love to be Scar and like terrify some kids or something like that and, and <laughs> fight a younger actor on Pride Rock and things like that. I, I played the judge in Sweeney Todd, um, which I've talked to you and Claire about before and, uh, you know, trying to um, intimidate people. I, I like playing villains and doing things like that. I'll tell you what, we'll have to do um, a play at some point, write some script well, and re recreate that at some point, maybe at a celebration next, uh, not next year and two years. Um, that'd be awesome. Right. Well, why don't we just finish up with some quick fire questions? Uh, sure. Reaching an hour, um, so we can sort of you know get a bit more out of you, but don't want to keep people too long. Uh, let's have a look. We've got here's a here's a fun one. I'm doing for certain guests. Okay. Okay. Star Wars or sex? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 the fact that I immediately like had to think about it. Um... See, Star Wars has only been there where sex took its sweet ass time to to come into my life. Like sex, sex made me wait. Um, I think I'm going to choose Star Wars. Is that your final answer? Yeah, it is. And I think Aaron would be comfortable hearing that answer. You can piece. Well, that you've out won a million pounds. You can, yeah, <laughs> you can piece out that answer and send it to her in an email or something. Because <laughs> I think I think she knows. Like because you can. You can Star Wars and wank, as you would say, overseas. Yeah. <laughs> so, popular pastime. Yeah, <laughs> Star Wars and wank is the actual name of this show. Would Aaron be comfortable with that? I think so. Because Aaron could always go like get a boyfriend or something, and then you know, and you'd be okay with that. I mean, no, it would probably drive me to drink and eventually die. But <laughs> but Aaron would be okay in life. Uh, I just don't know if I would be me without Star Wars. I know I would be me without sex because I've been me without sex. That's kind of sweet in a way that you'd you'd rather her be happy and you be dead. <laughs> I would be Empire it. Strikes Back playing with your <laughs> drunken body on the floor. <laughs> it's <laughs> as I bleed out. Yeah, I'm like, not funny. I, Can you read me? <laughs> it's just you, like your eyes open. Yeah. Blood seeping. <laughs> a little higher. Hard. A little higher. <laughs> yeah. I, 
yeah, I just think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I sometimes I think about what my reality would be like if I had never encountered Star Wars. And it's one of those things where like, I can tell you what my life would be like without certain things. Without Star Wars, I'm a drastically different person. Like, who knows if I'm even in radio? Because if I'm not in Star Wars, I'm not analyzing Empire of Dreams and Mark Hamill and figuring out who all these people are. And then I'm not wanting to make movies and I'm not wanting to be in entertainment. And like, it, it snowballed in way too big a way. You could probably even remove Lord of the Rings. You could probably remove either Marvel or DC. Maybe not both. The comics in general will be a little too big, but. Star Wars would be cataclysmic where if you removed Star Wars, Aaron would not be with me. I guarantee you because so much of our earliest conversations, you know, so much of what she likes about me is how passionate I get over it. So. Oh, well, there you go. I'm, I'm just glad that we're not in the um, alternate 2015 from Back to the Future where you don't have Star Wars. Well, we're pretty safe off. Um, let's have a look. Uh, what other quick fire questions can we give you? We've got... What's a memory that you cherish the most? Um, a memory that I cherish the most. Um, there are there are some lighter memories, like just some. Obviously, you and I both have tons of fandom memories. I mean, um, seeing a lot of things for the first time. You know, you can name any number of those. Um, but you know, tying it in with theater, a memory that always sticks out to me, just in my personal life, was. At the end of high school, so you're 18 years old, the world is in front of you, you don't really know what you're going to do. Uh, for the seniors in drama, uh, our drama teacher at the time, Miss Kidd, she would always do this thing called the senior send-off, where after the final play of the year, the seniors would go up and stand on stage, and she would shine a spotlight on them, and she would give a speech about them. And a bunch of people brought me flowers, and I'm standing up there with a bunch of flowers and both arms crying, and... She's giving this awesome speech about me. And then the younger kids, uh, you know, that were 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, they started to chant my name. And it was just this, you know, and, and cheering and stuff. And it was this really validating thing where I realized that affecting people is way more valuable than like any material possession or, or anything. Um that I could hope to gain. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be rich and let's be fucking clear. I would still like to be rich, but as I got older, I realized that I would much rather be remembered than be wealthy. Really? I think that's amazing. That's a great memory that you shared with me. Thank you. Um, Do you think it's good enough to conjure a Patronus or no? Um, no, how do you? You fucked up. Here's some chocolate. No, uh, <laughs> not good enough. Not, not nearly good enough. <laughs> not nearly good enough, Harry. You have your mother's eyes. I'm a werewolf. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's like that. That the way you described that, it's like something you would see in like an American sort of drama growing up, or like even like a sitcom. Like you're like, this isn't real. This is this wouldn't happen in real life. Like I know in my school we had like a decent amount of like, oh yeah, clap. Come on, hurry up. Um, <laughs> so, that, so English. <laughs> well, there, was, there, there were people that were actually talented. And they had, like, amazing, like, oh, they're so great. Look, they can sing, they can dance. And for me, it was like, I'm going to get the bus home. <laughs> I'm bored. Um, yeah. All right, go on. You're finished. Congratulations. <laughs> go on, go work. <laughs> then you die. Good luck. Um, no. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's such an amazing 
concept. I'd love that sort of experience. It's the sort of thing where uh, maybe this is just me or like a British thing. I don't think I could even dream about that. <laughs> even my dreams are depressing. <laughs> your dreams are it's just your subconscious telling you to fuck off. <laughs> it's, just, it's literally just like, well, and there are bad things happening. And then you wake up and go, oh, thank God. This is just a little bad thing happening. Whew. I I picture like your your dreams narrator having like the same voice as John Lennon, like "Good morning, Charlie." Like well, that'd be that'd be terrifying. Disappointed again, are you? Well, there's no narrator. It's just pu- it's just nonsense realism. That's what's annoying about my dreams is that they feel real, and then you wake up and go, oh, "I just have to do another day. I just live for a day." That was my, my time where I, sh- I should feel, be resting. My dreams always feel real. Um. In terms of like, I don't dream creatures, I don't dream ghosts, I don't dream like outlandish scenarios, but they're always intense to the point where eventually my brain figures out that I'm dreaming a little bit. Yeah, and that's usually they're, like when I'm waking terrible. up. Yeah, like I had a dream uh, a couple nights ago where some famous people and some people I knew like all like committed suicide and it was crazy and I was like running from something and it's like, yeah, this could happen. Like there's nothing fantastical about it. But part of the way into the dream, I was like, this is way, way too much is going on. And I'm missing way too many details here. Uh, and and that, that's, that kind of stuff stresses me out. I know for sure that I had a dream. And it was like, oh, yes. And I just, and then my, I, I can remember the feeling of, I am too content. <laughs> this cannot be real. Content. I'm happy here. <laughs> this, is, this is a lie. <laughs> and then I woke up. Oh god, that's funny. I was like, oh god, I still have dreams about exams, which is weird. Do you? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't a good test taker. Um, they 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 stressed me out. I much preferred essays where I could sort of muse and do things like that. Like I had a teacher uh, in my uh, biology class when I was in ninth grade, advanced bio, sixth period, last class of the day. And I was, I'm not at all a math science kid, but better a science, but math and definitely terrible. And I, I was not doing well on the tests for that part of the year. And so one day she gave everybody else uh, a test and then gave me a different test. And she, she told me, she said, I'm giving you a test that is just essay questions. That way, just explain in your own words, if you get it, even if you're getting some of the technicalities wrong. And then that was the test I did best on. And, she, and that, that to me, was I, I've always been grateful to her for that because it was a teacher showing that a lot of that, you know, we expect you all to think the same is such bullshit. Um, it, it's not effective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I did the opposite. I think I was good at exams. Um, and I was, I was more terrible at the coursework, which if you look at me, if you're like, oh, that's probably, not, I'm very... I'm I'm a creative, you know. When you're, I'm lazy. <laughs> um, like I think we talked about this the other day. Like I spoke to you, and I had this, I've got this ongoing idea of what creatives are like. And the idea was, when you did homework, where you, do you do it last minute? Yeah, yeah. That's I feel like that's a creative trend where people we Absolutely. do it last minute, and it's like, well, but I was I was I was terrible at it. I was like, oh, shit. I'm supposed to have done this. I have to make an excuse up. <laughs> That's where my creativity came in. <laughs> I had to make up lies. Um, but, you know, paid off, I guess. Uh, final question for you, Auden. Yeah. 
It's not really a big one. Yeah. What do you ultimately want to be reminded for when you die? Um, I think, um, and it's hard to articulate in a sentence, but for me, I think it would just be uh, that I was unapologetically myself uh, at all times. I want to be remembered, and I don't mean this in a brutal or intense way necessarily, but I want to be remembered as uncompromising. You know, where I've I've gotten, you know, I, I told you this via text. I gave you the very short version, um, but I, I, I was fired from a job once for uh, defending someone for what I thought was racist behavior. And I went out on my sword for that. And I was told by some adults in my life, like, you know, you don't have to stick your neck out for everybody. Like, that was stupid. Like, look, now you're out of a job and things like that. But I don't perceive it that way. Even now, a few years later. And I would do it all again, beat for fucking beat. And I have risked my shit for people. I've lost opportunities for people. I have um, gotten my own feelings hurt, you know, it, whether it was in romance, like going for someone who, you know, I was positive I was going to be with. And I loved this girl and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, I was young in high school and then that shit didn't work out and I totally got hurt. But I was honest, you know, I would go straight up to that person and say, this is how I feel about you. And whatever happened, happened. And, you know, when I'm approaching someone about my podcast, you know, I tell them exactly what I'm about when I'm speaking to someone and making new friends like you and Claire and Nikki and, and Chris and just everybody in this space that we know, um, the other people that I've had on my shows, you know, like, uh, like my friend Tori, who I made through the show like uh, my friends, you know, like Laura and Alice, who I've made through the show, like people that I've made, I've become friends with through Aaron, you know, a lot of her girlfriends that I met that have just been delightful. I am 100% myself from the get, you know, with Aaron's parents, I've always been 100% myself from the get. I do not change. I do not compromise. I do not censor myself. And I think that that is ultimately uh, what I'd like to be remembered for. It's a great trait and an envious one for me. <laughs> I'd but, love to. But, but, yeah. but honestly, there is a balance to be had because I acknowledge sometimes that more tact um, would be better because Aaron is Aaron is way more um, the the mediator, the calming voice, the hostess, um, uh, peaceful, charming, inviting. Like I, I, I learn from her all the time, whereas she can be non-confrontational sometimes to a fault and people have. Um, taking advantage of her kindness, whereas and so she has learned a little bit of of a bitiness from me. Uh, so there, there's definitely a balance to be had. Like I, I would caution people to be selective um, in their in their battling, but never forget that you know you got to stand for something. Because to me, ultimately, what I've realized is like, yeah, there are a lot of viewpoints that I fucking hate, um, and and mostly it is hateful viewpoints. You know, the paradox of intolerance, but. I almost hate apathy more. Like, obviously, yeah. it's not as harmful, of course. Like, to oh, I don't know about it, that. I think it is as harmful. Well, it is. It is in. It is indirectly as harmful. Like, I, like I don't think a person who's apathetic and is like, I don't want to talk about politics. Like, I don't think that they are necessarily as terrible a human as someone that's locking a child in a cage. But I do think that they frustrate me and and fuck up society in their own way. Where it's like, how do you not have beliefs? you know people that don't have beliefs i'm like well, how do you live um <laughs> so for me uh just being completely and utterly conviction all the time is sort of uh what i want to teach my kids what i want um other people to learn from me and i think i think uh 
it's important and it's uh, also very timely. Brilliant. So yeah, be earnest, but make sure the context is all right. You don't want to go to a, a funeral and say this is boring. <laughs> no, even though they are. A lot of them, a lot of them really are. Yeah, I go to, I've been to a few funerals and a lot of the main people there just, they don't talk at all. Yeah, Lazy. Fuckers. They're just asleep. They go through, I saw one, they went through a little, a little doorway. There was a fire there. I was like, what are they doing? Come back. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I think a good way to wrap this up, Alden, and thank you so much for coming on. Of um, course, so man. First of all, I want you to plug your stuff because that's the best part of that, the shows that you get to sell yourself. Um, who doesn't want to sell themselves? That's ignore that. Um, yeah, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find uh, the show that I do, the Star Wars podcast that I that I make. Um, it's pretty much weekly, sometimes twice weekly. Uh, obviously, in, in light of recent things, you know, being sensitive with the schedule and things like that. But uh, it's called Octo Radio. Uh, you can find it on all your podcast platforms. Octo is spelled A H C H T O. Uh, to Radio. Um, and it's an interview podcast that is all Star Wars based, where sort of like we did here um, with Charlie interviewing me, but it's all about, you know, Star Wars origin stories, talking about specific topics, diving into things. There have been some episodes that have been uh, very honed in on one thing. Charlie and I have done a couple uh, review episodes or just dives into certain things. Um, but we also have an episode that is all about him. I have an episode that's all about Nikki, an episode that's all about Claire. Um, episodes on people that are specialized in certain things. So I've, I've done an episode um, on the comedy of Star Wars. Uh, I've done an episode on Latin representation in Star Wars. There's been an episode on uh, creatures and crafting. There's an episode coming soon about costuming and, and design um, all through that lens. And so that's everywhere uh, on all your platforms. Uh, and then for me personally, it's at AD underscore Strider on Twitter at a period D period Strider on Instagram. Uh, and then obviously if you happen to be listening to this and you are uh, a person that enjoys the radio, if you like iHeartRadio, I work for them as well. So um, if you're ever in Florida, South Florida, you can hear me on uh, two different stations here as well. So, so yeah. Terrific. Well, to wrap up, why don't you say one thing, one piece of advice that you give to younger Alden? Um, I would say uh, not seriously. I would say maybe shut your mouth more. Um, with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but seriously, I think that I would tell young Alden to to not worry as much because he's doing the right thing. Because young Alden definitely feared um, going his own way and a lot of things and second guessed a lot of decisions and there was a lot of late night panic. Um, but I would definitely tell him that things are going to work out and maybe I would nudge him in the direction of certain people a little, a little sooner. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for coming on the first show. Yeah, um, man, this is awesome. You're, yeah, you're a great interviewer, man. And I don't just say that cause we're friends. Uh, this, this went by like in the, in the, in the blink of an eye. And I think that this show is going to be uh, really fucking good. And I think that, you know, with the people that we know, there's going to be some great episodes pumping well, out. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, yeah, it's been fun to sort of dive back in. Uh, it's fun to be a bit serious once in a while. I know it is sort of like uh, very refreshing. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, like knowing 
you know, people, people that know you and that are on your Patreon now that are going to be getting this episode, like they know how much you like, you know, obviously Star Wars, things like Doctor Who are, you know, very close to your heart. And they, they balance the silly with the serious, you know, sometimes you got to get down to it. Like a Doctor Who episode could, you know, be chasing a creature that looks like it was made for $5 and it was some latex. But at the end of the episode, you're still going to get a monologue about social justice and life and things like that. So, you know, you, you, you need to be able to, to rein it in. Absolutely, and it's fun to sort. Of, I'm excited to show people my serious self. Uh, I know you guys know it, obviously behind the scenes, but sometimes if you just listen to the podcast, you might not. You might just think I'm just wacky British dude, and quite frankly, the truth is, that's true. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to thank uh, Alden again, obviously, because not only is he on the show, the episode, but he's also uh, one of our patrons. Uh, and I would also like to thank Amnara. Kevin Rogers, Reed Devaney, and Sophia Reader. Thank you so much for helping support me. Uh, if you want to listen to this, we might release this for free for the first episode. Uh, if you are, if you enjoy this episode, quite frankly, um, don't forget you can become a patron, and I'll do some cool stuff for you. Give advice, I'll give you some uh, Photoshop coupons. So if you want me to Photoshop anything, I can do that for you. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. See ya.